On this week's episode of Tell's podcast, we have Sasha Liu, who is a PLO grinder crushing it in those PLO streets. Is that pretty accurate? <laughs> I would say so. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, thank you for joining us on Tell's podcast today, Sasha. Thanks for having me. I'd like to take some time to have you tell us about yourself, how you got into... Actually, let's start from the beginning. So... Sasha is a poker okay. player and she is originally from Taiwan. Tell us the backstory. Yes. How did you come from Taiwan to America and why did you want to move to America? Oh, geez, that would be a long story. <laughs> you sure you're ready for this? This is a long story. So, uh, yes, my name is Sasha Lu. I am a professional poker player. I was born and raised in Taiwan. I finished college in Taiwan and... I went to grad school in Russia, uh, as some people might know. I Before I graduated, I was working for the government, for our Taiwanese government uh, at the embassy. And so I got to uh, know a lot of, handle a lot of business people or uh, government officials. So before I graduated, I have gotten quite a few job offers. and. One of them was from the United States. Before then, I have never been to the States before. All my, most of my college friends, they, after they graduated, they went to very prestigious schools in the States. And I was one of the very few, I would say more than 50% of my college friends, they went to Ivy League schools and very, very good schools in the States. And I was the only one who was always really resistant for some reason. I thought everyone goes to America. I wanted to do something different. And that's why I chose Russia. But then uh, when I got the job offer from the States, I thought maybe it's for maybe it's time for me to see what it is all about. Now that I've experienced the the extreme, <laughs> a, a complete different country than America, maybe it's time for me to experience what America is like. So then I accepted that offer in the States and I came to the, I came to the States. That's how I ended up here. Amazing. So tell me, what did you study? Uh, what were you studying in Russia and how was living in Russia? Russia is crazy. It's, I have I have so many stories to tell about Russia. It is I think it completely changed me as a person. It really shaped my personality as well. It's just something that growing up in Taiwan as a free country and democracy and all of that, I would have never imagined there's a country like that that exists in the world. It is so insane. Um, I studied mass communication and journalism. So why I went to Russia was also a, a, a funny story. I really was not even, didn't even think about going to Russia. I didn't really plan very much in, in college. I went to a very good school in Taiwan, but I've been so, I was so lazy at, at college. I played lots of Counter-Strike. I played semi-professionally. <laughs> I skipped a lot of schools and basically just play video games. We would do training 12, 14 hours a day. 
and I we already had sponsorship and so on. So I really was, didn't really care so much what? about school. Yeah, so, so I basically just hang with a bunch of geeks and college. That was my college life. I didn't party or anything. So before I graduated, uh, I fell in love with a Russian boy. We fell so deeply in love that I just I would do absolutely anything to just be with him. And but he had to go back uh, right before I graduated. So I thought that okay, well let's just apply to a school in Russia. And because I've always been really good at school. And uh, I thought if I ever go to Russia, I didn't want to just go to any random school. So I thought to myself, well, if I apply to Moscow State, which is the best school in Russia, which I didn't think I had any chance because I rarely study. And, but if they accept me, then it's fate. Then I, then I should go and chase my love. And right. luckily they accepted, accepted me. Uh, I still remember I applied in December and the school had already started in, in, in September. So I thought to myself, there's no shot that they would take me. And they still, they said, well, they, at first they said, well, the school already started, then we can't take you. And I said, well, what if I just, you just give me an exam and let me pass, if I pass it, then you take me. And they said, well, there's no way you would take, you, you will pass because for most foreign students have to take a one-year course before they take the exam before they can even like have any chance of succeeded and I said well just try let me try it and at first I so I flew there I took the first exam I failed miserably and so I contacted them again I said well let me try it again because now I know what is what it is about. I'm sure I I'm I'm sure I can pass. They were like, "There's no way you've already failed it, failed it." And I said, "Well, just let me try it again." And um, so I took the exam again and I passed it. <laughs> I had no idea how. I I I was just always being really good at exams and taking tests, I guess. So then I passed it, and so I went to school in December. That is an incredible story. I. It gave me so much insight already. In my mind, I think back then in my mind, I just wanted to be, I was so in love with my now ex-boyfriend. We're still good friends, but I was so in love with him. There was, I knew in my mind there was nothing in the world that could stop me from getting where I wanted to get right. and going where I wanted to go. So I was going to do whatever it takes to just get there. So grad school is how many years? Did you learn to speak Russian uh, over that time? Uh, so I studied Russian in college as well. So before I went, I kind of already know Russian, but I was not fluent in any way. I was very, as I say, like I was very lazy at college, so I rarely studied. <laughs> so I was very, very rusty. I just knew how to uh, take exams. So before I went to Russia, I really had no skills, really. But I, I'm a really fast learner, and my boyfriend or my the boy I fell in love with is Russian, so I learned very fast. I became very fluent. I became actually um, the most fluent student uh, of any Taiwanese student, and that's how I got invited to work for our embassy because uh, our ambassador or our diplomat 
does not speak Russian, so I was hired as his direct translator because I was the most fluent student of all. Um, but that wow. took a lot of blood and sweat, I tell you. I always remember. So the first day I arrived in Russia, my boyfriend took me.、Um, the first place he took me was a weapon store. A weapon store. And I was yes. Okay. <laughs> Growing up in Taiwan, it's such a safe country. We've never seen any weapon. You, you I've never seen a gun in my life、um, up until that point. The first place he took me was to a weapon store. He said. Just pick out any weapon you want. Oh, oh my goodness! <laughs> yes, and he was not kidding. I really needed it, so、uh, I didn't know how to use any guns. So I picked up a、uh, pepper spray.、Um, and since that day, I had to carry it with me at all times. And That was not, and I was not even. I'm not even exaggerating. Really? I really needed it. That's how crazy and scary Russia or Moscow is. Because Saint Petersburg and other other cities are not like Moscow, but Moscow is just that dangerous. So that was the first day, and second day, I oh, I always remember because I went to, we went to a grocery grocery store. We bought like say. Twenty-five dollars rubles, twenty-five rubles worth of groceries, and I gave the babushka, which is a older woman, and the store. I gave her hundred rubles to、um, for my groceries. Right. And then she started yelling at me. She because you didn't have the right change. Yes, she、okay. started yelling at me so bad. And that I started crying. Oh no! I have no. I had one. I had no clue why a stranger, an older woman, was started yelling at me in the in the grocery store in front of everyone, and I have no clue what she was saying. So, I to me, I was just simply getting groceries. I was happy. I was with the man that I love, and I got yelled at, and I started crying.、Um, my boyfriend then. Started arguing with her, telling her that why did you have to yell at girl? She it's her first, second day in this country, and so on and so forth. So, so they went back and forth so,、uh, for a little bit, and then the babushka like softened her tones, and then she started saying like she didn't mean like any anything bad. She was just that's just how、right. the way they communicate. So that was、uh, that was the first lesson、um, of mine in Russia. And I think in a lot of ways, I said that it shaped my personality. Is in Russia and especially in Moscow, you really have to be strong. Life there is really tough, difficult, very、mm. difficult for a lot of people.、Uh, and people learn how to be strong and and be tough in life. And before that, I felt like I was in growing up in Taiwan, just a, such a safe and people were very nice, meek. Um, and I was in a lot of ways like that, just very naive. But I think Russia, Moscow, make me a much tougher person. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> like I am learning、mm-hmm. so much about you, and all the pieces in my head are fitting together about <laughs> the girl that I've met. Right. Like the Sasha that I know. All those pieces are now 
totally making sense. Okay, so what year did you move to the US? So you leave Russia, love ends, I assume, and you accept the job and leave Russia to the US. What year was that? That was uh, late, two th- that was uh, 2006, 2007. Okay. Yeah, so that was quite a while. All yeah. right, so 2007, you come to America. And what was your first uh, impression? Since like being in a country like that, where things are so difficult, and then coming to America <laughs> where things are, I don't know, what did you think? I'll- so th- this is... So this is also a this is also a great story. This is also a long story. <laughs> so going through that, and Russia is a crazy country. I really have so many stories in Russia that really, really, really shaped me as who I am. And I think uh, so. Something that I want to say is one thing that drastically changed me as a person is that I became cold and almost unfriendly and I have an unfriendly front I guess so and which still carries it over when I play poker and but I don't think necessarily think it's a bad thing so let me say for example uh, people I don't really talk a lot at the table and a lot of people take it offensively and but I think it really is comes from my days in Russia I remember like the first day, first couple of days that when I was in Russia, I was so excited. It was in a completely different country. So it's so exotic. I was with the man I love. I was happy. I was just so excited about this new life. So I remember going on the streets. I would like want to engage in people. I want to practice my Russian. I want to make friends. I would say hi to everyone. But you know what I got in return? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> because that's how Russian people are. When I, Whenever I say hello to them, they look at me like I was an idiot. They will not smile. They will not say hi back. They will just look at me, just with a blank stare. Just look at me and then look away. Did your ex-boyfriend say w- what the reason was for that? Why they, I mean, I, understandably, life yes. being difficult. Any Russian, any Russian would tell you, and in Russian there's a saying, is a person who smiles with no reason, for no reason, are oh. idiot, or is an idiot. So, and that's a very common thing, right? People don't smile on the street. They don't smile at strangers. They don't say hello to strangers. Unlike here in the States, people are very likely to strike a, up a conversation. People like talk, making conversations, talking to strangers, and engaging conversations. And Russian people are not like that. At first, I thought it was weird because growing up in Taiwan, everyone's friendly as well. People, you know, talk to each other, and nobody has really so much of a guard. But in Russia, it's completely different. But after living there for, for a while, and I, I realized why, and, and it it most likely is necessary and also learn to appreciate it because for Russian people, they don't, they don't engage in small talks. They don't talk to strangers. They don't talk about whether or how many siblings you have or those things that you will forget the next day. 
they care much more about meaningful conversations. They care so much more about their close friends and family. So they don't really focus on people who are who, like really meaningless conversations. So, uh, and, and I learned to adapt that. So up until this day, I really am not so good at small talks and chat, like low chatters and I, because I really don't believe in them anymore because what's the point of talking about things that you really won't even remember the next day to people that you won't even remember. Interesting. So how do you get close to somebody then, right? So how do you become close to somebody if you don't have the icebreaker? You know, how do you become somebody's family? Yes. So it, so the, all that takes time. So was time when you, so for Russian people, like they, they are really great. They're great friends, great family members. They're, they're good to people. They are, they actually are close to them. They can be the most loyal friends. Um, but they're just not, they just don't have that, that, um, friendliness or whatever it is that you would say to, towards people. They are, they are new. Um, and I think I, I really adapt a lot of that. I, now, like, I don't, I'm really some kind of sort of even uncomfortable talking to strangers. But once it takes me time to get to know the person that, that I really would be the most loyal friend or I would give them so much and I, I would be really do anything for them. But it really takes time for me to warm up to people. And I think that really stems a lot from my Russian days. Right. So, yeah. So back to where we, you, your original question, uh, how, when I first, so when I first came to the States, I had this also sort of American dreams, right? Of what everyone is talking about. I wanted to do great things. I remember my father, he was so mad when he found out that I was coming to the States um he really wanted me close to him he want he didn't understand why i have to go to the state or go to another country again why couldn't i just stay in taiwan i could find a really good job with my degree i could make money over there why did i have to go away and for me i just i wanted to explore i wanted to see what life is about what I want to see what other people are doing I want to see what where my limits are I don't want to just stay in one place and and be compl- complacent right um and so my dad didn't even go to the airport <gasps> that- to, to to and that that's the first time in my entire life every time I fly anywhere he always wants to be there he always wants to be the the one to see me see me go and he didn't even go to the airport. That's just how mad he was. Like he didn't understand. So going to coming to the States, I have this ambition that I wanted to do big things. I wanted to um, achieve something great and to like make my parents' life better, provide for them because they, they really had a tough life growing up. We didn't have a lot of money. So I thought finally this is my chance to shine and so <laughs> it's funny because the company that offered me that job they say uh, 
when I arrived, it turned out to be a complete scheme. What? <laughs> yes. So they said that they have the applied working visa for me, which they didn't. And they end up wanting me to work uh, seven days oh a week, goodness. more than 12 hours a day. And <laughs> yeah, they say that they, and they, they said that that would give me $2,000 a month, oh. which at the time it didn't sound so bad coming from Russia and Taiwan, that money seems pretty okay. But at the same time, like, I thought it was strange that they want me to be the first one to be at work and the last one to leave. And then and then I had to work so many hours, which didn't seem, it which seemed very strange. And I, something was just off. The owner arranged me to live in one of his apartments. So I basically monitored um, 24-7. Uh, he had a security system, so I couldn't really go anywhere. Sasha, that's crazy. Yes. So I didn't, and I didn't have a car, so I had to. So he provided a car for me, um, but I really couldn't go anywhere because I didn't know anywhere. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any family. And but it's just something was just very very off. And they kept telling me how lucky I was that I've never been to school in America and that I could have a job already and I was luckier than anyone else and things just didn't add up and I was remember like there was a time like I would go home so every day I go home to the apartment by myself and thinking like is this what American dreams was about right and it was just not the life that I had imagined. So I remember, like, I would, for a long period of time, I would go home and cry and not being able to call home because I didn't want to call my dad and tell him that, you know, this is what I left him right. for. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. So finally, I. Um, just told the owner like I didn't think it's oh I remember he also told me that if anyone from immigration service came over that I have to hide no 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 it sounds like out of a movie yes so that was the final straw I told him like I can't do this anymore this was just not not how I imagined it out that's just not how I, I wanted my life to be. Right. And they they will not give me back my passport. They hold off all my stuff. Oh, <laughs> also they told me that I have to pay 3700 for to apply for my working visa. <laughs> so I basically worked for free for a while. And But anyway, that was a crazy story. So I finally got out of there. Um, I was lucky enough to find another company that sponsored me, um, my work visa, and things just kind of got a lot better from there. But um, that was my first experience, uh, first American experience, and it was really bitter. But now looking back, it really, it was such a tough time, but whatever I have to go through, I look back and 
I would tell myself that, look, I've gone through that, and and I I am so strong that no matter what's going to happen, like I I I would never like like I I can get through anything basically. Right. I am so inspired, and you know what I mean. Like immigration on its own is a is a nightmare. Yeah, so as you know, having <laughs> immigration gone wrong, I can't. Yes. just like <laughs> bad on worst really... over bad. It's that's insane. Okay, so really now looking back, like I could not believe that it happened, but I'm glad it happened. It really made me much stronger. Yeah, it made me much tougher. I did not know that I had that in me that I could go through things like that, but I did. Isn't that amazing, right? Not knowing what you're made of, because there's no way to know what you're made of until you get tested, right?、Mm-hmm, exactly. Wow. Okay, so let's fast forward past the jobs and go to poker. So Sasha is now.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so this job provided you your work visa. And now you、mm-hmm. you find poker how and why poker? Because now it's sort of linked to that streaming back in the day, sort of right, like that focused、mm-hmm. uh, grind. So you've already got that in you. Is this、yes. is this why poker is appealing to you、yes. when you're first introduced to it? Um, I think actually the very first time, the very first time I got exposed to poker was actually in Germany, when I was with my then boyfriend. They, him and his childhood friends, were playing poker, and the first time I saw it, I wasn't really interested. I think I was just not didn't really know much of it, and then so that was the very first time. I wasn't like everyone else who was just. Got fascinated about poker right away. I wasn't, and then the second time I got to know poker was when I was living in in California. That's when I first moved to the states. I、uh, was dating this guy who was who played a lot of poker online.、Um, he is sw- he is sw- Swedish, and he plays a lot of poker. And he has a almost like a, a an addiction that, and I didn't appreciate. I thought that he was just gambling a lot, so I didn't really get into poker then because I just had a bad、um, impression of it.、Uh, we eventually got together because he got rid of some of his bad habits. And then he started showing me like what poker really was about、uh, online. Back then, he played a lot on、um, full tilt. So I watched him play a little bit, and I got fascinated. I started I started studying on my own, and then I ended up playing much more poker than he he did. I think it really comes from me growing up with lots of. Male cousins. I have literally more than twenty, so many that、I、lost count、um, of male cousins. Then they're all boys,、uh, including my own brother.、I、have one brother. I grew up with them. I didn't. I never owned one single Barbie doll because to for my parents, to my parents, they thought it was a waste of money to buy me a Barbie doll if I 
don't have any other sister or female cousins to leave it to. So I never had one Barbie doll, and then there was so I was just never interested in anything pink or really girly. I grew up playing video games with them, car games with them, and I just always had this competitiveness or sense of competition that I in me that I thought that I could be any of the boys if I want to, and also. It comes from my mother. I, you met my mom. Yes, she is one of the the most gentle person I know. She's she is a Buddhist. She's one of the the most selfless person I know. Absolutely, but she also is the absolute strongest woman I know, because growing up she had to give up her education very very early at the age of thirteen to go to work. To make money for my uncle to go to high school, because simply because she was she's a girl, and back then my grandparents they even until the day that passed they only value boys. Even though my mom has always been the one who works harder, who provides more money, who takes care of my grandparents much more than any of my uncles did, but they still don't value her as much just because she's a girl. And so she had to give up education early. She had to work, started working at such an early young, like such a young age. And when you know that she had to go through that, I couldn't help but feel sorry for her. But whenever she tells me anything about her or her life or her experiences, she never had a sorry attitude for herself. She always tells me that. It is okay that she has to go through that because she is strong, because she's capable, because she was able, that she she could do all of that to provide for my uncles. So even though she's a girl, she is stronger than anyone, and she always tells me that I can be as just as strong as a man, if not stronger. That I should never ever think of myself that I'm less than a man, that I'm any less stronger than a man, and like seeing her, she's just my role model. That I know that that I I I I can I can always compete. I not if not compete, I can always be just as strong as a man, if not more. So. Growing up, I just always had that sense of,、um, I don't know how you would say it, but I just never thought that because I'm a woman, I I I would be less capable. What an amazing way to grow up! What an absolutely amazing gift from your mother. Yes, and yes, I think she. I hope you're not. Your intention is not to make me cry today, because like I have all the feels. Yes, and I think maybe you you have similar experiences, but my mom is definitely absolutely my hero, my role model,、right. and I always, no matter what I go through in life, I always look at her and I know that I can go through anything because she has gone through everything. Oh my God, <laughs> Sasha. <laughs> Serious talks. <laughs> you know, it makes me think of like, yeah, it makes me think of my、mm-hmm. upbringing, right? And you look at people go through 
so mm-hmm. much. And then you come to America and things are like, they work and they, so, they seem so mm-hmm. easy, right? And you forget like all those, those things that you went through, all those challenges that you went through. Yes. And I, I've been reading this book, um, very good book. Then it says like your, your degree of success in anything, you choose right it's in proportion proportion of how many no's you can sustain Mm. while stay excited throughout the process so the more no's and obstacles you have to go through and you still are excited and passionate about what where you're going or what you want to get really defines of how or if it's possible for one to succeed so I've been through so much since I got to the States or even in Russia, but I always had the goal or ambition in my mind that I'm going to eventually be able to do something that I'm really, I really love and I really will be able to achieve whatever it is that I want to achieve, which in a lot of ways is to be able to mainly is to provide my parents and my, eventually my family a, a, a good life and for my parents is to provide them a better life because they've been through right. so much so I've always had that in my mind that no matter what's at hand what difficulties I have and it's okay I'm going to get through it because I know I will get there and that is this why you have in your Instagram bio, if you don't follow Sasha, it is Poker Sasha on Instagram. Uh, it, yes. You have quitting. What is failure? Only failure is yeah. quitting? The only failure is quitting. Everything else gather, is gathering information. I think that applies a lot in poker and in life. So many people complain about bad beats or losing a tournament or running bad or anything in life. And I really appreciate, recently a friend of mine sent me a quote that I really, really like and I think it really applies in a lot of things is you will never lose, we never lose if we learn. So life is is a long journey it's not just one competition one tournament is one competition yes or one baseball match or or baseball game or or a soccer match is one competition yes but life in itself is also a a a competition and it it is consists of many many matches so you losing one or Failing at one does not mean anything because you still have so many that are coming in your way. So one-time failure or running bad in a short period of time, it really is nothing. Because if you learn from it, if you know what you need to do to do better right. in the next one, then you didn't lose. If you really look at it in a bigger picture, you know, if you really know it in your heart that you are doing whatever it takes to to get there, then this short-term short term obstacle really means nothing. That's a lot of mindset, right? So it's a majority mm-hmm. mindset. And then 
in a practical sense, what does Sasha do in a situation where you, mm-hmm. I mean, I think over time you have built up that resilience, right? So let's take mm-hmm. it back to when you were maybe a little bit newer at poker. How did you say, okay, mm-hmm. I lost a tournament or I had a really bad session today. How do I know that I'm not just a dud? How do I know that I'm learning? How, how did you quantify that for yourself? That's a very good question. So every time I lose, uh, if I lose a tournament, and it, and I do lose, it's funny how many people that message me and they thought that I would never lose. I lose just like everyone else does. But what really you? <laughs> funny, <I'm> just... <laughs> right? <laughs> I do lose, but I try to. So the point is, you you want to and and that's just like i said you want to be able to take the loss and still stand up the thing is so many people they just quit or they just they get drowned in their unfortunate unfortunate events yeah i'm sorry my oh your english is perfect don't even start (laughs) (laughs) but so many people just get drowned and they get depressed and they think, oh, oh, they start doubting themselves. But so I, when, if I lose internment, well, it usually take me some time to get, get back as well okay. to feel better. But then I would use this, think about how many people, I, I usually would think how many people if they are going through what I'm going through and they give up and they would think that, they are not good enough or they can't do it. And when I think about that, I will tell myself, well, then this is my chance because everyone else will give up now. Whoa, I love that. Right? So I cannot be the one who give up. If I don't give up, if I just try a little harder, then I will go a little further than those people. Amazing. If that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so if I lose in a tournament or something, um, I would, outside of studying, like try to get myself better. I would take some time, like to, give, of course, make myself feel better. And then I would get back to studying and learning the game, knowing what I did wrong or where I could improve and knowing that, see, this is a lot of people who don't understand is you're, a lot of your edge comes from not only you studying more, learning more, knowing more. Some of your edge also comes from your opponents being Whoa. lazy, being yeah. content, your opponents wanting to quit or stopping. Think of it of a marathon when you are feeling tired, when you're feeling fatigued. Look at your opponents, right? A lot of them just stop. A lot of them are slowing down. A lot of them are not willing to go forward. And that's your also that's also your edge. You want to be the one that's not stopping, that's not slowing down. If even if you're slowing down a little bit, it, that's fine. But just think about how many people would have right. given up at that point already. And you don't want to be that one that's that's giving up. So any of that, I always tell so I coach some people. PLO, I always tell them, 
that the edge that you have in PLO right now is not so so many people said PLO is such a coin flip, right? You people get in 50-50 and that's really not entirely true if you know the game. But I always tell my students that a lot of your edge comes from your 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 opponents don't study. Like we have a lot of no limit holding players who does a lot of studying in the game and so on. But right now in PLO I rarely, rarely run into one single player that really study PLO. So, and they think that it's just a coin flip so I can get lucky. And that's your edge. Your edge comes from not only you knowing more than them, but also you being more diligent than them. Yes, ma'am. Yes, teacher Sasha. I'm just thinking about it in <laughs> not, because I think a lot of times, like you say, when I am in a life downswing, whatever that might be. I think of myself only, mm-hmm. right? It's very mm-hmm. just me. But for you to mm-hmm. go think of all the other people who would give up at this point, are you going to be one of them? Are you going to mm-hmm. just join the crowd who goes, eh, mm-hmm. it's too hard. Amazing. Right. So in the book that I read recently, uh, it's a conversation about an interviewer with a boxing champion. And so the person asked the boxing champion, right, what makes you a better athlete than anyone else? And the boxing champion said, and really, really made an impression of to me was that, you know, the thing is when you, when the bell rings and they raise your hand and announce that you're a champion, you really forget all the blows and the defeat that you had to sustain prior. People, you only remember the victory. You only remember the, uh, the, 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 the win. And you will forget about all of that, mm-hmm. how much blood you had, you, how much sweat you had before the victory, right? So, and nobody will, nobody will remember the loser. So, Basically, this concept I said to a lot of my, my, my friends who say are tournament players who lost, who was just got out of the tournament. When you better your game, when you study more, when you try to get up on your feet and you improve your game and you finally win a big one, big tournament or something that you uh, finally achieve your goal that you wanted to achieve that you really will forget about all these sweat and the blood and sweat and the defeat that you had to go through, that you would really, that in that moment, did, that's what matters. And you should be focusing on that, if yeah. that makes any sense. No, that makes total sense. And I think it's a, a definite mind shift um, in just, you know, taking everything as so minute and focusing on that one little thing at a time. Yes. I know that you study a lot. Mm-hmm. How much do you work on your game? Let's say on a week, because obviously every single day is different. Some days are longer at the table. How much time do you say give to improving your game over a week or a month? Uh, I st- 
I, I can't say that I study much more than everyone else. I know there are people out there that study more than me. I do play a lot of hours. Um, I, I'm now starting to study much more as well. And I study a lot. And I think I study much more on mental game and how to prepare myself mentally. As, and I look at myself as an athlete if it's even accurate an accurate description but I tried to prepare myself as an athlete uh, going to a match um, I think that helps myself a lot more than any like you know game theory itself and I do study game theory as well so um I study, I try to watch videos and talk to hands, just like any poker players. So I don't, I can't, like I said, I can't say that I study much, much more, but I try to always know that I'm improving something every day and I take away something, even if it's a loss or a knockout, I try to learn something from it. Yeah, I, I really love your the outlook on life. I mean, I remember when we went on our hiking date and just listening to you uh-huh. talk about the way that you see the world. And now I with this conversation, I understand a little bit more, right? Because we hadn't really spoken about your time living in Russia. So yes. what are a couple of things that you think are important for somebody who wants to just to be successful at something or even because poker is your forte how do you go from break even maybe or losing or wanting to move up in stakes how do you go from there to where you feel confident and are making a lot more money as a poker player i think whatever you want in life you really have to want it enough a lot of it really comes down to how much you want it. And there's a word in a lot of books I recently read is that if you have that burning desire, like, see, a lot of people want to be a poker player. A lot of people want to win a tournament. But how much do you want it? How much do you really, really want it? That defines a lot of people's success. Because do you want it just because you want to have the lifestyle, you want to not have a boss, you want to make money, then if that's where, that's where your heart's at, once you run into losing a few tournaments or going to a downswing, then you might just stop or give up right there. How much do you want it? Are you willing to go through all the obstacles, all the downswings, losing money, but still have the passion, still have the, the desire and the knowing in your mind that you are going to do what absolutely whatever it takes to take take you to wherever it is that you want to go. If you whether you want to win a big tournament or whether you want to be successful in poker or whatever it is, how much do you want it? Are you going to stop right here when you're going through a downswings or are you willing to study more or get coaching or finding out different ways to carry you through this dark times or difficult times to still get there? Can you still 
remain as passionate? Can you still be as excited even though you're going through a difficult time? I think that defines whether you're successful or, or that would determine whether you're successful or you're not, or you just are going to change your course and do okay. something else. And you love poker, right? Let's just get it out the, of out the way in case people didn't know, Sasha. Do you love poker, Sasha? <laughs> I, yes, I absolutely love poker. I love everything about it. What is your one favorite thing about poker? You have one favorite thing or no? Yes, um, I have a lot of favorite things, but what I love about poker, um, despite what people think that it's you don't have a boss, you can do whatever you want, you can make your own schedule. But what I really love about poker is it's something that you can use your intellect. It's something that changed outcome with your brain power. If that's again, if it's the right description, unlike blackjack you you can't really change the outcome as much but in poker you really can you can think outside the box you can be creative you can do all kinds of things and really showcase a a person's thought process and that's what's fascinating to me is that it really is something that you really can win by thinking ahead outsmart your opponent and all that. That's what's fascinating to me. I love that. You can change the outcome with your intellect. I yes. love that. And that's so yes. well said. Um, and how did you pick Pot Limit Omaha over No Limit? Since <laughs> everybody was playing No Limit, right? That was a game. Do you think it yes. was more interesting or was it just because there's less people who were willing to study. Like you said, it's just like a coin flip to a lot of people. Yes, it's a combination of both. I've always liked four-card games for some reason. Um, I like Omaha Hilo. I like a lot of Omaha games. Um, I instantly was fascinated by PLO right away when I first played it. And I think also... Like you said, a lot of people don't study. A lot of people really don't know the game. And that, to me, is fascinating. I always look at it as, and I said it a few times, a, a theory, a, a shoe salesman story. When you, when a shoe salesman go to a land where nobody wears shoes, a, a crappy salesman would say, well, nobody wears shoes here, so I have no business. But if you're a successful salesman or ambitious salesman, you would be thinking, well, there's nobody wearing shoes right now. So I have so much opportunity. I have so much money. There's so much money to be made. So that's how I look at PLO is right now, very, very few players study the game. Uh, Very, very few players try to get better at this game. Yeah. And it's very interesting, right? So the game itself is so much more fascinating to me. I, I like it so much more. And I study a lot of, I spend a lot of time studying the game and versus a lot of people who just, whether they think they're good enough or they think they already know hold them, they don't need to get better at this game. And that's your edge. Um, that's, that's what's really fascinating to me. And also whenever I go to a PLO tournament, 
you have a lot of people who just ha who have played the game, who play the tournament because they have the buy-ins, because they have enough money to play, but not because they really constantly work on their games. And that's a lot. That's the same goes to a lot of mixed games, uh, mixed game tournaments. And I think that in itself is that give you a lot of edge, give people who really work on their games a lot, a lot of edge. That's fascinating. I want to become a PLO player now, and I'm just like, uh, I don't even play Hold'em. <laughs> but tell me, Sasha, uh -huh. do you have to, do you start off playing No Limit and then move to PLO? And how much time, how much time did you play No Limit? Yes, I started playing No Limit. And don't get me wrong, I, I when I first started playing No Limit, I was also fascinated by No Limit. I spent a lot of time um, trying to learn and so on. I even some people know this, some people may not. I mention it elsewhere as well. When I first started No Limit, I really loved the game and I really wanted to get better at the game. I but I really didn't know how. The only way I know is and I thought to myself, how do I get better at the game? I didn't know anyone who really plays except for my, uh, besides my then ex-boyfriend, but I, we broke up. So how do I get to get better at this game? Then I own, I look, went to the casino and I look around and I thought a, a, a good idea. I thought to myself, those dealers who dealt the games, they must know or learn the game so much faster because they get to see so many hands in a day. So I thought to myself, huh, maybe I should be a poker dealer. Then I can learn the game so much faster. And again, at this time I, I, I had master's degree and I was supposed to work at a, <laughs> a good jobs, provide for my family. <laughs> Um, my father, my, so my father wouldn't tell me I, 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 I was a failure, but because I love poker so much, I, I just really wanted to get better at this game. I did not care. I went to, so I flew myself to Atlanta city to go to a dealing school to learn how to deal the game. And I flew back to Indiana where I was living at the time. And then I got a job at as a poker dealer at the local casino. Incredible. <laughs> so, and that's probably says a lot about my personality is what I want. I would give absolute anything to just get it. And I knew I could get it. So I went on to be a poker dealer for maybe a year, uh, less than a year. But I, during that time, I learned so much about poker. Uh, I learned so much about life tells. And every time I dealt a hand, I would look at people and guess what they had. Unlike all the other poker dealers, I would just constantly thinking to myself uh, what they have and, and basically playing a guessing game. And that really improved my poker a lot. Uh, I think Bellagio is going to get all the applications for poker dealers now. Everybody's <laughs> going to go. I thought that, that was a great way of learning poker. And I really, going in, I was my, my focus was not to make money or tips. Uh, my focus was to get 
consume as much information as possible to for me to be a a better poker player. So then, did you uh, were you dealing and then playing after hours, like in your off time after work? Yes. Okay. So I I was dealing. I play some as well. So that's like accelerating the rate of learning for sure. Yes. Yes. And then soon I I only I was only dealing for a year before the company uh, reached out to me and and invite me to work in a different depart department. Um, so I went on to work in the marketing department and then climbing up the ladders later on. But that one year of dealing poker really lay out the fundamentals of me as a poker player. Incredible. Because I hear a lot the question, I don't have anybody to talk to about poker. What should I do? How do I get better mm -hmm. at poker? Right. This is the most ingenious what method I've ever heard of because I mean, I'm not in the poker world for much. <laughs> I think a lot of people they have people to talk hands with and, and so on and that's a great way too I just didn't really didn't know anyone that played poker so that was the only way that I, I knew how to get better but even if you are say not as like you said right not as outgoing or not as like wanting to chit chat to people this is now a new way you could learn how to play poker without having to, you know, chat to somebody. Right. Well, you still should be talking hands and so on with other people. It was just back then I really didn't know anyone. So, and I, when I was dealing poker and I got to know people, I got to know poker players and so on. And, and pretty much my poker path just developed from there. But I was willing to do whatever it takes, whether it was, even if not dealing poker, I, I was so fascinated by it. I would really do, even if you tell me that I would be dealing poker with not much money at all, I would still do it. Tipping, even though I, I always got a lot of tips, partly because I was a girl and I was really friendly at the table. Unlike being a poker player, I really don't talk, but as a poker dealer, I, I'm always friendly. I would talk to people and so on. And I always got a lot of tips. And, but money was not what I was after. I was after the knowledge that getting better part, the improvement part, that if you told me that I wouldn't get paid much at all, I would be fine with it. Yeah. I wanted to get better at poker. That's what I wanted. Reason number 55, if you don't think Sasha loves poker, there's another reason for me. Incredible. <laughs> so how many years did you play No Limit for before switching over to PLO? It was only probably a year okay. or two. I would say maybe two years before I switched to um, PLO. And now when I say switch, I didn't just fully play PLO. I still play Hold'em because not a lot of casinos or uh, places run regular PLO games. So I had to drive to a lot of places to play PLO games. Um, so I also still also still play No Limit Hold'em, which is not my favorite game anymore. All right. So I have some questions from Andrew that he wanted to ask for, on his behalf <laughs> on the podcast. Are you ready okay. for those? Uh-huh. 
says, sure. how did you become <laughs> friends with Barry Greenstein? We're all trying to know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Barry and I met in a poker tournament in LA. I was playing a tournament where uh, it's one of those tournaments where you, when you back multiple flights, then you get cash. So I already bagged a flight uh, with about average chips, which I wasn't happy about. So I play another flight, uh, hoping to back more, uh, a bigger stack. Okay, sorry, I need to stop you. I don't, I don't understand what that is. Can you explain what backing a flight is? Okay, yeah, no problem. So some tournaments, um, some casinos have these tournaments where they have multiple flights. Um, so say if you have, if it's few hundred buy-ins, you can buy more, you can buy this day. They, ha they have like day one A, day one B, day one C. Okay. okay, perfect. So if you bag day one A and if you come back and play day one B and you bag it again, so if you bag two days, then you will get cash for your second bag. How, okay. How, whatever money that is. And then you can pick a bigger stack as your stack going to day two. Oh, makes interesting. Sense? So I bagged an average stack in one of the flights and I wasn't happy about, uh, I wanted to have a bigger, bigger stack. So I play another flight hoping to bag a bigger stack where I can um, choose to go into day two so I can have a bigger stack going to day two and I can make some money. So I, I met Barry at the second flight that I play he was at my table I didn't know he was Barry and I knew who Barry was watching tv and so on high stakes poker but I didn't know the old guy sitting at my table was Barry so <laughs> so basically I ran a bluff that I thought was I thought to this day I still thought was a good bluff that should work very high percentage of time because only very small range that could call um, but against a guy who called anyway and I lost a huge chunk of my stack and eventually I got out a few hands later and then Barry found me on break and he told me that he was really impressed by that play because very very few people uh, could pull, pull that off um, and also it was a very good bluff and it just happened that it did not work because that guy ended up being a uh, the biggest calling station. Uh, so he basically called anything that everyone bets and he was out, even though he took my chips, which was a lot of chips, uh, he was out very soon after I got out. So, and that's something that also um, me and Barry continued to discuss was to adjust to your opponents, even though it might be, sometimes it might be a good play, but it might not work against certain player types. Say a good bluff would not work against someone who costs very heavy. So that's something that we talk about later on. But anyway, so that he found me on breaking told me just want to give me a words of encouragement that it was a good play it just did not work against that opponent and so I started consult consulting him on um, poker and life mainly life 
uh, because Barry has a lot of wisdom, and so we became, so we became friends, and more like he, so as people know, he became more of my mentor. Uh, I would ask him a lot about different topics, and he will always has a lot to say. Sometimes too much to say. <laughs> Barry loves talking, as we all know, um, but a lot of it is. I remember once he came to pick me up in LA we uh, to take me to a, a casino and we were going to play a, a cash game at commerce or gardens i don't remember but we hit really bad traffic that day it took us four hours oh, to get there and the entire four hours it was very talking non-stop <laughs> <laughs> granted everything that he said was gold Barry really has a lot of wisdom. He's one of the wisest people I know. But <laughs> still four hours. It was a lot to take. <laughs> so Barry definitely is has a lot to say. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But yeah, it's good. You're still friends and you don't like to talk as much. So it's perfect if you have a friend who likes to talk. Yes, it is perfect. I don't talk as much. So uh so I let him talk. <laughs> Barry talks, definitely <laughs> talks a lot. Yes, we are still, he's still, um, he's still my mentor. He is one of the most important people to me in po- poker. And I, he really helps me a lot, especially on my mental game. So he's someone that I will always be grateful for. Because that wasn't like you walking up to him and asking him if you if he could mentor you. It was you doing your work mm-hmm. and having that speak for itself in a way, right? Yes, yes. Which which I'm really humble because he said that over the years a lot of people have come up to him um, to ask for his mentorship or his help or his advice and. Barry actually toward most strangers he doesn't really talk this much but once he knows you or he is comfortable with you he really would give everything that he has so um, I'm really humbled that he thinks that I have potential and he really um, looks things highly of me and things that I, I could achieve and he's willing to help me um, in terms of providing me his wisdom and advice and guiding me. So I'm really lucky in that aspect. But don't you think that your preparation sort of was part of that? If he says that Mm -hmm. people have asked him before, you know, because sometimes Mm -hmm. I don't really know the exact thing that you say to a mentor when you say, hey, can you mentor me? But like I mm-hmm. completely understand seeing something and somebody seeing something in you and then saying, Hey, I can help you with that. Yes. So I think partly your preparation to become the poker player that you were on that day playing that kind of hand, that was your doing, you know what I mean? So it's not really just luck, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that might be part of it most likely the part of it but yes either way I'm very I'm very lucky to have people like Barry um, to, that really helped me guide in, into like 
being a professional poker player, which I really knew very little about before. But he's the one that's been through so much uh, playing poker for decades, knowing so many people, watching people succeed and fail that and he can give me all the information and, and all the experience that I haven't that I don't have to experience myself. So yeah, I'm very, very lucky. Yeah. And so just to backtrack a little bit, now that you are a professional poker player, what was your dad's response? How did you say to your dad, listen, I got a master's degree and I came all the way to America and I want to be a poker player? So this is thing he still doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> so nobody tells my dad, okay? My okay. dad does not know that I'm a professional poker player right now. Because... Okay. so this is the that's the thing that my mom thinks my mom thinks it's the best to not tell him my mom thinks it's best not to tell him my dad is a very traditional man he is very harsh on me to this day my dad has never told me that he loves me never ever even though i know he loves me more than sure. anything, but he's never said that. My dad is just a man like that. He he will always be very, very strict and harsh on me. And my mom thinks it's best for him to not know right now. Uh, my mom wants me to get all this because she's seen me going through so much and to give up so much to pursue what I really want to do. She wants to make sure that I have all the support and that I need, and she knows that my dad is just not in the position to give me that support right now, because once he knows, he's going to have a lot of harsh words to say, and and, and I think that, I, and I really appreciate my mom thinking and protecting me in that way, so my mom is really supportive of me, which was also surprising, because my parents were both very harsh towards me growing up they want to always drive me forward they want me to be very strong very tough um they never gave me any compliments so i i was very surprised but i think my mom she knows how much i have gone through yeah to get to where i'm at right now um so and she knows i've been doing all by myself so she i think she grew that um respect for me and she is just doing whatever she can to support me. And she wants to make sure that I have the support. So she made the decision to not tell my dad. Because even now, sometimes when I have winner's photos or somebody posts a photo of me playing poker, my dad on Facebook, he <laughs> he will make a comment like, well, this is just gambling. She quit gambling and so on. So we know that he's not in a place to know that I'm this playing this job. professionally yet. <laughs> yeah, so I am still, I use it as a motivation, right? I am still wanting to get to uh, the next step where I'm really comfortable. I can feel like I am in a place where I can absolutely be proud to tell him that that I'm a professional poker player and I am doing this as as my job and I'm at the 
place where I'm really comfortable and I can take care of you and you have nothing to worry about. And that is my goal. And I don't think I'm there yet, and but I'm working towards it. Lovely. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I get it. I mean, it's, I think I didn't grow up in a culture of, or in a family of do what makes you happy. My dad was like, you're going to mm-hmm. do math and you're going to do computer yeah. science because you want to uh-huh. eat period. Yes. So I totally get that and mm-hmm. can, can relate to that. Yes. My dad has never like told me like I have to do certain be a certain profession or do certain things, but he thinks that I'm wasting my degree and money and time I spent in school to be playing poker or doing anything else. So before, when I was a poker dealer, he constantly was telling me, why are you doing that? Why are you spending time, so much time in a casino? All your friends are being so successful, they're lawyers, they're doctors, they're this and that, and why can't you just, you know, work hard? He, he thinks that I'm being lazy. I'm doing this because I don't want to be successful in life, where he didn't know that I was doing, I was not being lazy. I was putting so much work. It was just towards something that I really, really deep down that I love, but he doesn't yeah. understand that. And it's hard because, you know, growing up in such a different time mm-hmm. altogether. Yes. You know, and hopefully one day mm-hmm. he, can, he can understand and you can show him the fruits of your labor. Yes. Um, that'll Definitely be yeah. working towards it. All right. Uh, another one of Andrew's questions was, mm-hmm. what percentage of your session, of your sessions does someone hit on you? That's a very interesting question. Why I, I'm wonder I'm curious of why Andrew has that question actually. Because <laughs> <laughs> Andrew played with me a couple of times and Andrew knows that I don't at the table actually I, I really don't talk very much and I really do want to apologize to a lot of people who try to talk to me and I don't talk back. I really am not being um anything that I think we're trying to be offensive. I One, I am not very good with strangers. I'm really not good with small talks. I always am concerned that I don't say something smart enough or funny enough and so on. I really don't, I'm just really not good with engaging conversations with strangers. So I, most most of the time I just ignore and really, it's hard for me to focus on poker when I'm making conversations. It really distracts me and it really takes away my train train of thoughts. So when I play poker, I really, I'm, most of the time I'm in my own world. I really just want nobody to talk to me. <laughs> I really, my wish is just nobody talks to me at the poker table. <laughs> but even if somebody is hitting on you, you're not hearing them. I, yes, I'm not hearing them. I just I put on my headphone. I, it's, it's funny. I was thinking the other day, everyone said that the pros should make the 
other people feel welcome in the game and so on. And I always question like why? Like I, I really, I am just not good with people. I, Talking to people, which is funny. I, at my previous jobs, I had to be very good with people, and in some way, I am really good with people. But I really, so my previous job, I was a director of casino marketing. I had to engage in a lot of conversations, talk to a lot of clients, and I was really good at my job. I, but I think in a lot of sense, I I resigned to play poker. Basically to escape, so I don't have to talk to people, so I don't have to make conversations, I don't have to engage in relationships or people that I really don't have. You, you know, I really didn't want to. So, and I feel bad saying that, but I really, I really just wanted to be in my own world. Um. So, <laughs> so basically, back to the question, I really don't engage in a lot of conversations. So it's kind of hard for people to hit on me because <laughs> I really just don't respond. <laughs> I well, mostly ignore, and really, it was not. Some people take it as rude. I really am not trying to be rude. I just one, I don't know what to respond, and two, I just really am there to play poker. I think that's an excellent answer. First of all, I think you're the least rude person I know, and <laughs> just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, just because you're good right. at talking to people doesn't mean that you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. I think I am very. I am outside the poker table. I'm very friendly. I talk. I I would like to think of myself. As a very good friend, loyal friend, um, but at the poker table, I just really don't engage in a lot of conversations. So people, especially when people try to hit on me, that kind of uh, makes um, have my wall up uh, even more. So basically, the more someone hits on me, the less I want to talk to them. Um, because it really, to <laughs> me, it is kind of almost, and I, it, it, insult is a strong word, but it's almost as if you don't think that I, you don't take me seriously enough that I am there to play the game. I'm not there to make, to find boyfriends, or I'm not there to <laughs> take it lightly if that makes any sense like and like I said that's too strong of a way to put it but uh, I really am just there to focus on my game try to play better try to be better than how I play yesterday and that's my focus my focus was not there to make friends or to make everyone happy as some people put it um that's not why I'm there for Sasha, I'm in awe of you, but uh, my personal question is just as an outsider in the poker world, right? Like I just have a peripheral view, so I'm just like on the edge. Mm-hmm. Is how do I've seen a, a, often on your Instagram or not even Instagram or Twitter that people mm-hmm. seem to treat you differently because I, I think it's because you're a woman because I never hear the same kind of stories from Andrew, maybe like 
once a year he'll have mm -hmm. some belligerent person at the poker table. But mm -hmm. you seem to have those experiences a little bit more often. Do you think it is purely because you're female and it's like, and what do you think that's from? I don't think it's purely because I'm female because I'm sure a lot of males get it a lot. But I think it's, it, a lot of it comes from me. Uh, it's a combination of both. Me being a female and me not talking as much, not being as bubbly as a female should be as they expect. And I am there to basically to focus and wanted to compete. And I think a lot of people don't take it as well. So that um, because you're not smiling at them and being the gracious girl that you're supposed to be, is that kind yes. of? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, because I'm not, yeah, as smiley, as bubbly, as friendly. Um, but basically, if you look at me as any other poker, a lot of other poker players, or if you picture me as a guy, I'm just doing basically what most male poker players are doing. I'm there to play poker. Yeah. I'm not there to engage in conversations, which is basically like most poker players. But because I'm a girl, um, it stands out a little more that I'm there quiet and just playing. And people don't take it as well if I don't talk back or engage in conversations. So if I'm somehow like happens to take their money and a lot of people just don't, like I said, don't take it very well. And how would you, what advice would you give to somebody who is being uh, belittled at the table? What What is the course of action? So if somebody's being, obviously the dealers there, do they have to step in in those situations or? Uh, actually, most dealers won't, which is understandable because they need to make money. They they don't want to they don't want to take sides, right? They don't want to offend any players because that will affect the tips, which I understand as well. So for me, um, now my all, my policy was just mostly just to ignore. I just ignore them. Ignore them when they talk. Ignore them when they start saying something offensive. If they really get out of line, then. I I I might I probably will say something back, but most of the time I just ignore it because I don't want their energy to affect me. So, yeah, that's basically what I do. Okay. Some a lot of times I wish other people would step in. Um, it because it's funny sometimes even if it's not towards me, say someone is being really disrespectful to a dealer dealer. And if I say something, then it will become an argument. Then the player will not respect what I'm saying as much. Um, and I think that definitely because I'm a female. But mm. if someone else, say a male poker player chimes in, then that person will immediately shut up or not be res as resistant. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, and obviously there's such a disparity, right? There's like mm -hmm. such an outsized number of male to female ratio in the mm -hmm. poker space. Mm -hmm. 
do you see that improving as in like more women getting into the game or no i i do see that improving little by little i can't say that i can't say that it's going to improve a lot but i think bringing awareness on social media or something um, it will all help and when i say that i i hope people don't take it wrong i think a lot of male poker players get berated a lot as well. So I just don't think that any of that is acceptable to men or women. I don't, I'm not trying to amplify, well, it sucks being a male, female poker player or it only happens to female poker players. No, um, I think poker is just a game of, uh, uh, most people, poker players have a lot of ego or, they always think they're best. That's why they're playing poker. They're trying to be there and prove they're they're better than others and take other people's money. And when it does not happen that way, a lot of people get hurt or they will reflect negatively outward, outwardly. So um, I don't think it will. We will eliminate the problem entirely, but I just hope that as people talk about it more that people will be aware of it more so yeah okay i won't keep you for too much longer but i want to talk to you forever um, <laughs> it always people. seems like we don't have enough time to we talk. never have enough time <laughs> i think i'll just yeah. become a poker player just so i can sit with you and make you talk <laughs> at the poker table or we just have to make more dates we definitely do. Uh, okay, so if you could play cash games or tournaments, which would it be? That's also a very interesting question, right? So, because Barry, Barry's direction and guidance has always been uh, winning poker players should be a cash game player. Um, and when I talk to a lot of people who has been doing this for years, and most people will tell you that a true winning poker players are cash game players, or cash game players are the true good poker players. Um, so I've played a lot of cash games last year, mostly cash games, actually. I play very few tournaments. Um, but in my heart, I love tournaments. I, I love tournaments because it is a full competition. It has this beginning stage. It has the middle stage. It has the finish. And you adjust according to your opponents. You adjust your strategy and so on. And to me, it's just really fascinating. So I really, I love cash games and I love tournaments both. I really can't say that I'm willing to give up playing tournaments, um, even though uh, playing tournaments, it, it requires a lot of, you know, long-term planning and so on. I, I just love tournaments. So I can't say that I, 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 it's cash game or tournaments. I really love them both. Oh, man. So you can't pick one? I really can't pick one, but don't <laughs> tell Barry that. <laughs> Barry, don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> he will. I'm sure he will, but <laughs> I love them both. Okay. And then... On my last question, maybe, I hope so. On a scale of one to 10, <laughs> how much do you love poker? 
98. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say I don't. I, I I'm not saying that is something that I will have to do for the rest of my life. I'm sure that I will transition to something else later in my life because we still have life is still a long journey. But I will say this: poker is. I have never found something that I am so passionate and absolutely. Am absolutely in love with. I have never found something I'm so passionate about, and I'm willing to give it all and and get better and be one of the best at it. And I know you are and going to be. I mean, I I think just from our first conversation when I first met you, we were out to dinner with Joey and Andrew, and I was、mm-hmm. like. Who is this girl? <laughs> and I wanted to have you on the podcast for so long, and、mm-hmm. you know, obviously, whatever scheduling. But I am so glad that I waited because it's so good. Like I knew it would be good. I knew, but I didn't expect just how good it would be. And I am so so grateful. Well, thank you very much. I, I, and I apologize if I stumble sometimes or take time. I know I talk. I don't talk very smoothly or fast. In English, it's not my first language. So I apologize to the listeners out there. I hope I get my point across, and I hope I don't get myself misunderstood. But yeah. Anytime, if you or want to continue the conversation, I'm willing to. I'm happy to. We are going to continue this conversation because World Series is coming up, and、yes. I probably want to have another conversation with you to see where you are, what your goals are for the series, because I know you have lofty goals.、Mm-hmm. Right,、yes. you've been crushing the PLO tournament scene, <laughs> and I'm so proud. Congratulations! Thank you. And because you mentioned earlier in the podcast that you do do some PLO coaching,、mm-hmm. do people reach out to you for that? And are there spots available? Because if there are no spots available, I don't want people like bombarding you with requests. But if they are, then maybe they can reach out and you can have a conversation. Uh, yes, a lot of people have reached out to me.、Um, I do have quite a few students. I can't say that I have a lot of spots available.、Um, I still have some, but summer is、uh, coming up, so I'm also playing a lot, studying a lot. So、um, if anyone that would like to have coaching with me, we can.、Uh, you can always message me, and we can schedule around. Things is just I just don't have a a set schedule right now for everyone. It has to work around my schedule, which is pretty hefty right now. Yeah, I'm very surprised that I got this time slot on a Tuesday <laughs> afternoon and for an hour and a half. I'm very very grateful. Anything for you, Lucy. <laughs> It's just too bad that Andrew can't be here with us. I know. Next time we'll get him on the podcast and we'll all be on together. Sounds、um, good. But I just wanted to say thank you again for being on Tells. Oh, thank you, Busy. I'm really, I'm really, I'm really humbled. Thanks for having me. Thank you for chatting. Do you have any last words? If you want to find Sasha on Instagram, it's Poker Sasha. Yeah.、Um, any other last words you have? No. Um, just for any poker 
players out there or even anyone that's working towards anything in your life, just keep pushing. Don't forget why you're doing it. Don't lose your passion. Perfect words to end on. Thank you, Sasha. Thank you, Lucy.